Welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing today? I trust everyone had a good day. And they are just ready for the weekend. As you know, Trump picked his new Supreme Court justice. And it was no surprise. Amy Coney Barrett, a very conservative judge that will sit on the court probably for 30 maybe 40 years. I think the one thing when you look at his picks of judges, Trump has picked young judges that will be on the bench long before I'm put in the ground. And you think people will say, well, it was the wall. He had this great agenda. But if you really look at what the Republicans did to Trump. They placated him. They put him in a box and they directed him to what they wanted. Mitch McConnell didn't want a wall. Two years they had complete control of Congress. They could have gave this man a wall, but they didn't. They got judges. And instead of the first bill coming out of this administration, being infrastructure, they talked him into doing healthcare. And when Trump said, healthcare's hard, it's hard. My God, man, we could have told you that. It took Obama two years and he used up every bit of credibility he had to pass Obamacare. So it blows my mind when he said it was hard. We all knew it was hard. You know, I always tell people that if I was advising Trump, I would have said, no, let's not do health care first. Let's do infrastructure. Infrastructure is a bill that the Democrats won. And I know that if we give them a little bit, they'll go along with it. You pass this massive infrastructure bill. And you tout it as, you know, Trump, the builder. You know, this is what I am. This is my brand. I build stuff. And as soon as the ink is starting to dry on that bill, you propose the health care bill. And then you use that because by the time you pass infrastructure, you've made inroads with Democrats. So when it comes to health care, you go back to those same Democrats and you start to split the party. As you split the party, you put this health care bill on the table. Pre-consistent conditions, you know, the goodies, you trim it down, you make it where the health care companies can, can digest it. And you pass it. You pass it with Democratic votes. You pass it. You pass it where you don't need, uh, God rest his soul, John McCain as the one holdout because you got a Democrat in your back pocket. These are the things that this president should have done. But these are the things he didn't do. He chose battles that were hard to fight. He chose battles that he would never win. He allowed Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan to, di to direct him on fights that 
Maybe someone should have stepped in and said, no, Mr. President, you are the president. You You dictate the agenda to the party that you lead. Don't let the party dictate you. It made him look weak in my eyes. But he probably wouldn't say that. His believers probably wouldn't say that. Oh, no, 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 he's not weak. It made him look weak. Very weak. Now, here we stand. This is, I would say, probably less than 40 days left to the election. November 3rd. Are you ready? Are we going to get change? Are we going to build back better? Or are we going to keep America great? You know, in my eyes, America has always been great. That's what makes it America. But before I get off one of my tangents, the biggest thing with this new Supreme Court pick, everything on the table. Many people are saying Trump's rushing to put someone on the court so that if the election goes to the Supreme Court, she'll rule in his favor so he can remain president. That's smart. Very smart. Health care is on the, on the ballot. Obamacare. Republicans have spent their time saying they hated Obamacare. I remember they hated Obamacare. Just give us the Congress. We hate Obamacare. We'll repeal it. Just give us the Congress. We hate Obamacare. We'll repeal it. Did they repeal it? No. They didn't even have a plan. How do you run on something and you don't have a plan in your back pocket? That's the one thing I saw about the Republicans. They lied to their voters. They steadily lied to their voters. And when it came time to deliver, they couldn't. They couldn't deliver a health care plan. A health care plan that met their ideology. A health care plan at the same time kept the popular stuff that the people liked. It just didn't connect. It didn't. And it showed when they struggled to get this bill across the finish line. It barely got out of the House. Barely. And when it got to the Senate, that should have been a clear sign that it wasn't going to go. The one thing I think Donald Trump struggles with is realizing that people in Congress work for themselves. They don't work for the president. But the way they've been down to this president amazes me. So what, Mr. President? Tweet something about me. Tweet something about me. I'll tell my voters that I stand up for to you. I might walk and vote 99% of the time with you. But when I feel like you're wrong, I'll challenge you. Have conviction. And none of them do. I think that's going to be the biggest test when Trump is gone. The biggest test to the people are still there. Because they'll be giving an interview. And it'll be Joe Biden. And they'll be like, I don't agree with what he's doing. He's going back on all these norms. And whoever's interviewing will clearly say, clearly say, well, Congressman, Senator, when President Trump was president, you supported this plan. You supported what the president was doing. 
what makes it different now? And you'll see in their head as a little monkey and the wheels will start to turn and they'll realize, oh shit. And they'll change their tune and they'll come up with some way to curve it to make sense. But make sense to who? To them? It just shows that they're more of a hypocrite than they realize. I mean, hell, we're about to put someone on the Supreme Court with less than 40 days on the docket. Obama had nine months. But we had to let the people decide. Oh, no, 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 now. It's it's the Senate and the president are from the same party. So that makes it right. That's fucking just fine print that nobody fucking reads. Nobody reads it. Just tell me. Tell me one thing. Why is healthcare not a right? We all live, we all die, we all breathe. We all have hearts. But Republicans don't care. They only care every four fucking years when they need our votes. I care. You should care. That's why I created this podcast because I was so fucking tired of people not telling the fucking truth. Just going along like sheep, like like cows to a slaughter. We gotta be better. We need people to serve us, not their selves or their special interests. That is why we're here. That is why we elect them. I used to always say, Politicians are like TV preachers. They go in with high hopes and all these great attributes and all these great things that they want to do. But know what happens? Know what happens? The money. The money changes them. And we can't have that anymore. We got to get money out of politics. We have to. We've got to find a way to make things better. Or it won't. We'll keep electing people over and over and over again who they only care about their effing self. Look at Lindsey Graham. He's struggling right now in South Carolina. South fucking Carolina. With a guy I barely heard of. But he's popular down there in South Carolina. Happens to be an African American. My God, if Lindsey Graham lost November 3rd, Hell, it would be a wake-up call. It proved one thing, that the people of South Carolina got tired of someone serving them that only served themselves. That changed his mind like, like the wind. We gotta be better. Like I, like I said in my first podcast, one of my favorite wrestlers was Shawn Michaels. And the reason it was Shawn Michaels is because I remember this guy would put his belt on the line every fucking time. You want to challenge me? You want a title shot? Well, you got it. He was willing to sacrifice his belt to prove a point. Where are the fucking politicians who are willing to do that? Put your seat on the fucking line. Take a stand. Take a fucking stand. 
we're about to elect somebody to the court that's going to shift the balance. This is the same woman that had said in 2016, Obama shouldn't do it. 2016, that's three fucking years ago. She said we shouldn't change because we'll shift the court. But now it's okay because it's her. You know, I, I, I was sitting there, I was thinking before I got on, and I said, if I was sitting there, I would have everybody in my office, I'd say, get everything this woman's ever wrote, every judgment she's ever, ever, ever made. I want every interview. And we need to prepare ourselves for October 12th when the hearings start. Because I would sit there and I'd be like, Your Honor. I'm I'm assuming that's what they're going to call her. Well, here I'd be like, Your Honor, serving on the Supreme Court has to be one of the highest honors of your life. To know that when you left law school, to see where you are today, has to be eye-opening and a great achievement. And I applaud you on that. To reach the pinnacle of the Supreme Court. Today you are here because you're replacing the late great Ruth Bader Ginsburg, an icon to the left. Today I ask you this one question. 2016 you said that President Obama shouldn't have the chance to nominate Merrick Garland to the court to replace the late great Anthony Scalia, because it would shift the balance of the court. But today you sit here and you say it would shift the balance of the court before an election. But today you sit here and say it's okay now. It's okay to shift the balance of the court because I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a liberal. And she ruled, all her rulings fell to the left. As I've done my research on you, all your rulings fall to the right. So my question today would be, why is it okay now, but it wasn't okay then? And I would let her answer a question and see how she answered it. And I would look for something else, one of her rulings, to prove my point. She's a flip-flopper. Because if you can start to paint her as a flip-flopper, you can maybe start to paint this narrative that, okay, you're telling us this now, but you flip-flop in the past. Who's to say that you won't flip-flop when you get on the court? And then I would end, and I'd be like, you know, once again, congratulations. No matter what you say today, you will probably get confirmed by this Republican Senate. I, I believe they have the votes. But my question and what scares me is, you say one thing, but you do another when it benefits you, as we're saying today. Congratulations. And I would say that and I'd paint this picture. And I think if the Democrats start to paint that picture, it's going to make Trump look bad in light. You know, to do this right before an election... I think it steals his steam away. I think it fires up the left. And it just amazes me because he's not getting good advice. Can you imagine if, if someone said, Mr. President, 
put a centrist on the court, a Mayor Garland. You'll split the Democrats in half. You'll force them to go to somebody who's right down the fucking middle and have to backtrack on them. Mr. President, that's a tough fight. That's a tough pill to swallow for anyone. But you'll make Schumer, Pelosi, all have to stomach it. Hell, if you put Merrick Garland on, Merrick Garland on the court, that'd be interesting. I think Democrats would have to eat crow because they'd be forced to nominate a man. See, the one thing about Trump that amazes me were, you know, he, he was a Democrat at one point. Donated to Kamala Harris, Pelosi, Clinton. Called Clinton a great politician, Secretary of State. And then he became a Republican. Endorsed Romney. Romney lost, as you can tell, 2012. But he was a man that could have came in to the presidency and shifted. This man has a cult following. When he says, run, people run. I honestly believe, honestly believe, that if he shot someone on Fifth fucking Avenue, he'd be acquitted. His supporters are that loyal. They're willing to die for this man. And as I tell my friends, I look around where, where the job I have, I, I have a chance to go around and I my little area I, I'm, I'm around in. And I say, you know, when Bush was president, I don't remember seeing these flags. When Obama, same thing. It's almost cult-like. And it blows my mind. It's a little scary. It's almost like, why would this guy want to win the presidency? When he could start a channel, he could start this big political movement that could shake the Republican Party. I think what scares Trump more than every anything is he doesn't want to be a Jimmy Carter. Because he knows if he's Jimmy fucking Carter... He'll be a footnote on American politics. What did he do? Hell, you ask me, what did Jimmy Carter do? I, I would be like, I think it was some peace treaty he did. Uh, the Iran Contra? I mean, no, I think the Iran thing. What's facing the court this term? It's so much affirmative action, health care. Republicans don't have a plan. My God, Democrats probably don't even have a plan. Make Obamacare better? That could be a plan. Make it better. That's what I would want. We're in a pandemic, and they want to strip our health care away. But you listen to the president. He's told George Stephanopoulos he has a plan ready to go. But he hasn't revealed it. He says, elect me and my plan will come out. But he hasn't revealed it. Say they're going to pass a plan, but he hasn't revealed it. You know, keeping with this Supreme Court thing, I want to say, Democrats passed another stimulus bill for the people right now who are hurting in May. Republicans in the Senate sat on their hands not doing shit. Waited to the last fucking minute to try to negotiate. Negotiations fell through. 
because of the chief of staff, I believe. And there's no bill to be had, and people are hurting. People are hurting. There's a word of Great Depression coming next year. Great Depression. And they say we can't do it. They're, they're dragging their feet because they're lost. But you know what amazes me? They are bending over fucking backwards to put a Supreme Court justice on the court. Priorities. How's that more important than a starving family in your state of Kentucky, Mitch McConnell? Shows where your loyalties lie. Affirmative action is on the docket. <laughs> Woman's rights. Roe is on the docket. There's so much. And we're about to turn back all this. Just think. The court doesn't reflect America. It doesn't reflect America. It reflects an America that I don't know. I don't know. Which is sad. It's very sad. As we wrap up this first hour, you know, the biggest thing I just want to talk about was the Supreme Court, affirmative action, probably get repealed. Roe versus Wade will probably get repealed. A woman's right to choose, which is scary. I remember looking on Twitter and people were saying Democrats were blocking a woman from sitting on the court. And they were all pro-women. These are the same people that want to take a woman's right to choose away. I believe a woman, a woman's right to choose is a personal decision between her and a doctor. I think the whole argument of how they fought that battle is all wrong. And if you said, Mark, okay, how would you fight it? I'd say, well, I like ketchup on my beans. Do you like ketchup on your beans? And people would be like, I don't like ketchup on my beans. What are you getting at? I'd be like, what I like and what I believe is totally different than what you believe, right? And you'd probably say, yeah. And I'd be like, that's what makes this country great. Roe versus Wade is that. It's a personal decision between a woman and her doctor. And it's what she believes. It's what she wants. But you tell me your Christian faith tells you it's wrong. So you don't want her to do it because you want to push what you believe onto her. Is that right? So if we allow you to do that with Roe, what else are you going to tell me your faith tells me I can't do? You know, I mean, if you look at the Bible, there's so many commandments. We have to, if you want to preserve it, you have to change the argument. You have to rework the battle plan for Roe to save it. You know, that's what you have to do. If not, you're going to lose. You're going to have conservatives sitting on the court. 
we're going to look their noses down and say, Nope. I feel like it shouldn't be done. I feel like, uh, it's wrong. Even though it's a woman's right to choose, it's a personal decision between a woman and her doctor. We're going to strike it down. Hmm. And then people say, well, Mark, what about the baby? And I always love this argument because I remember someone said this and it made sense. Okay, so you want to force a woman to have a baby. Are you going to be with that woman and baby for 18 plus years? Or are you only going to be with that woman and baby for nine months? And when the baby comes out, you're going to be like, you're on your own. And then you're going to call a welfare queen. You're going to try to cut her benefits. You're going to make it hard for her to raise her baby. I mean, but you wanted to her to have that baby. You can't have it both ways. You can't tell me I have to have my baby. When I know that maybe I can't afford it, I'm struggling. I'm going to bring this kid into a life that maybe is not good. But then turn your back on me when I have the baby. And the baby's here because you say... I shouldn't depend on the government. I find it funny when people say, I don't, I shouldn't depend on the government, but they were so quick to take those $1,200 checks. I don't believe in the government, but there were so many people willing to take that PPP loan. You know, when the government's willing to hand out money, people are quickly have their hand out. Well, hell, that's Bernie Sanders' socialism. You know, when capitalism fails, people run to socialism. They run to the government. But wait a minute, I thought people hate the government. No, they don't hate the government. They only hate the government when someone tells them to hate the government. But when the government's willing to give them something, they're quick to hold their hand out. You can't have it both ways. You can't. As we get ready to wrap up this first half hour... Hopefully you stay tuned. I feel like I'm starting to get the hang of this podcast thing. As you can tell, this is the third one. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm feeling the swing. Um, you know, I feel like we're trying to start a movement. We're trying to, you know, my, my goal is to, to shift the language, the argument, the dialogue in a direction where I feel like it needs to be. It needs to be more centralized, pulled back from the extremes of the left and the right and right down the middle. People say, okay, what's the, what's the purple party? Is that just like an independent? And I would say you could say it's an independent, but I, I, I want to say no. The Purple Party is a party where you have Democrats, you have Republicans, and we're just sick of the bullshit. And so we have come together to do something that can cha- really change this country. We want to get money out of politics more than anything. We want to just bare bones it and have people fucking stand on their soapbox and push their ideas like the old days. That's what politics was. Politics wasn't bashing. Politics is a a sport of ideas. And the best ideas win. But somewhere along the line came about who's more popular. Who has more gusto? Obama? Bush? Trump? They all had it. 
being purple is somebody who wants to return this country back to normalcy. Wants to stop the noise. Being purple is somebody who's mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. Angry is not over. It's still here. It's not. And when people say angry is over, it's not. It's still fucking here. Right now, it blows my mind 200,000 people have died of the coronavirus and still counting. And this president has done nothing. Nothing. It's like Bush in the fucking Iraq war. It could have gone better. But he was so dead set on making this a red-blue state issue. In the beginning, the blue states hurt. We're hurting. And he turned his back because he said, those aren't my voters. You're the president of the United States of fucking America. How are they not your voters? Hell, people just say, get mad when people say, he's not my president. He's not my president. Oh, oh, wait a minute. He is your president. Oh, wait a minute. I live in a blue state. He's telling me he doesn't represent me. So maybe he is my president. I would go to those same people and I'd push that language. You can't have it both ways. And that's what pisses me off. I feel for so long people want to have it both ways, and we can't. We've got to do better. We must. Or we're going to lose ourselves and all the talk. Well, I will see you on the other side. Join me, please. Next 30 minutes. More dialogue. Can't wait. Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Yes, angry is not over, it's still here, it's still here to stay. Okay, second half, what are we going to talk about? So many things that just crossed my mind. Um, First thing I want to bring up is this news story I saw the other day. Trump names KKK, Antifa, terrorists, and play for black voters. I saw that and it just blew my mind and I said this is how you buy votes someone returned with well Michael Bloomberg's paying raising 16 million dollars to pay off you know felons fines isn't that buying votes I said definitely has a good point and people said how's that racist Trump's doing KK's name in the KKK Antifa terrorists and I said, well, it only took him three years to do it. I think right now Trump's looking at the same polls we're looking at, but maybe his internal polls are more accurate. And he knows he's in trouble. And so he's in trouble with one group. He's got to sway another. And so I don't want to tell my friends this, but, you know, when you're black, you see through bullshit. This is something you do, this plan he rolled out. You do it in 2016. You change the argument, you change the tune, you do this in 2016. You don't do it a few weeks before an election. To me, it shows desperation. It shows that you're trying to buy votes. It shows me that you don't give a shit about me. It's just you're trying to throw a little meat my way and hoping I forget. 
You know, it's like growing up down south and people would say, oh, my dad's not racist. He's got black friends. Okay, well, what is that supposed to mean? Because your dad has some black friends, some people he associates with. He's not racist? Give me a fucking break. Trump has a list a mile wide. The 70s, not running to minorities. The 80s. The Central Park Five. Obama being the president of the birtherism movement. Even his fucking wife. I remember watching that video and being in disgust. I look at the first lady and just... You can just see how fake she is. That whole family is just fake. Do I feel like they're all racist? No, I feel like it just comes from Trump. I honestly believe he doesn't like black people. I honestly believe that. I believe he's lived a very wealthy life. Can't relate to us. Has he had black friends? Yeah, he's got black friends. But guess what? They all probably worked for him. He never had someone as eagle. Which amazes me. I mean, why elect somebody who's never had to struggle? They can't relate to you. They don't know what it's like to have to wonder, are you going to pay a fucking bill? How are you going to feed your kids? What are you going to do for money? How are you going to pay the rent? He can't relate to that because he's never had to. Everything's been given to him. And that's what amazes me. So, you know, somebody who's trying to all of a sudden pass this bill to sway black voters, it's like he's saying, you guys are dumb. I haven't done shit for you in the last three years, but hey, I'm going to throw you a bone. Please vote for me. And these are the same people who said, Trump's done more for the black community than any president. And I thought about it one day and I said, okay, what has he done? And the only thing I could come up with was justice reform. So you're saying, I should vote for him because he passed the bill that Obama struggled to get through Congress, and he was finally put some able to put weight behind it that keeps me and my black brothers and sisters out of jail. That's what he's done, and so I should be thankful for that? Fuck no. Black people see through bullshit. We see fake people. I knew Trump was a fucking con artist in 2016. I knew he was a con artist. And people refuse. They refuse to see it. Amazes me. Amazes me. You know, in this segment, I... You know, the coronavirus. The coronavirus. Trump knew about this virus, I'm going to say probably in November. They brought it to him. They said this virus in China is slowly starting to spread. No one really knows what it is yet, but it's slowly starting to spread. And then one person said, oh, it was the coronavirus. And he did nothing. And then the year started. And you, you know the story. Washington, and then it spread. The New York blew up. And, you know, Trump's giving press conferences where he's like, he's downplaying it and saying, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. But the whole time he knew. And it just amazes me that this guy knew about how deadly this virus was. 
Yet he lied and said it was no dangerous than the flu. And his supporters took that to heart. I remember hearing a story about a guy who died from the coronavirus. Tweeted and said, oh, it's a joke. Starts a job. Oh, crap, I'm sick. Next tweet is, oh, I'm dead. There was a guy in his hospital bed. First, last thing he said to his nurse was, I probably should have taken this virus seriously. But he did. And now he's not here anymore. Why? Why is it so hard to wear a mask? Why? I would say, Mr. President, why is it so hard to fucking lead? Why? How? People elected you to be a leader. And you're not. And I think the one thing that amazes me, Trump's never had shareholders. He's never had to answer to anyone. And it, and it shows. This guy ran a mom and pop operation. And it shows. He was the boss. He ran the show. There were no shareholders that were push him out. He'd buy words. If they were, they would have pushed his ass out by now. He would have been on his ass. They would have controlled Trump. The Trump Foundation, but his kids do. It just amazes me. But it, a little compassion goes a long way. I mean, there was talk that maybe his brother died of coronavirus, but he kept that quiet. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. His brother probably asked him, Donald, how deadly is this virus? And Trump probably said, oh, it's not bad. It's not bad. You'll be good. You'll be good. 200,000 people have died from the coronavirus. And that number is still climbing. One of the top countries in the world. And we've reverted backwards so hard. That's why this election, I would say, when people say every election is the most important election of my lifetime, I would say this election, this election is the most important election of my lifetime. This election is going to prove which way we're going to go. Are we taking a left? Or are we going right? Are we going to build back better? Or are we going to keep America great again? We got to do something. It has to start somewhere. It has to go somewhere. Because if we don't, we're doomed to repeat it. Look how quick they're putting a Supreme Court justice on the court. But when it came time to pass a bill that would help take care of Americans, constituents, they drag their feet. Poor people don't have lobbyists. Because if we did, we'd probably be better off. Probably would be. As we look at what's coming up, you know, I see I see commercials that say Trump, Biden's going to raise taxes that are going to cripple America. And I say to myself, the next president's going to have, whoever the next president is, is going to have to raise taxes. This country's broke. We're broke. We didn't save during the good times. We spent. And the bad times, we need to spend. We don't have anything to spend. 
there's nothing in the coffers. The next president, be it Biden, be it Trump, are going to face tough decisions. Very tough. Trump, if it's Trump, I could see him not wanting to raise taxes, but being forced to. Biden, Biden raised taxes. I honestly believe he'd kill him. He'd only serve four years. We'd reelect a Republican president by 2024. They play his age. He'd probably start to pay gaffes. And it would cost him a re-election. Which in turn would hurt Kamala Harris, who, if you ask me, do I think she's a strong candidate? You know, when the race started, I actually thought that she would win. I thought Kamala Harris was the one to beat. I said, you know what, I can see her winning. And after the first debate, when she started to climb a little bit, I mean, there were signs where she was a little wishy-washy on issues. She tried to double speak. She tried to have it both ways. But when Telsey Gilbert took her down, I think it was the third, about the third debate, I said to myself, she can't take a punch. She can't handle getting criticized on her own record when she was AG of California. It just, it, it, she just crumbled and everyone saw it. And what had happened? She started going down the polls. I think Donald, I think Donald Trump would have made Kamala Harris alive, but I do also think that he would have struggled trying to find her because how do you find a black woman without coming off as racist, without coming off as sexist? I mean, I honestly think Trump plays footsie with that part of America that people don't like. He plays footsie with it because he feels like that's his base. I put, like, that's why I was a little shocked when he came out with that proposal about putting KKK Antifa on, you know, the terrorist list. I'm like, don't you need those people? Aren't those your supporters? Or will it be like the Grand Wizard said back in 2016 when he was running? Well, Trump just has to do that to, to placate people. My supporters, he's still one of us. You know what? I honestly believe that Trump is still one of you guys. I think in his heart of hearts, Trump is a racist. I think people who deny and don't think he is are only fool themselves. Do I feel like Trump supporters are racist? No. But I feel that people who support Trump deep down have those same feelings. I remember when Obama got elected. People I never thought would say the things or feel the way they do came out and showed their true colors, which just amazed me. It amazed me the hatred they had for Obama. And when you look at it, I would say Obama next to FDR saved this country from going down a, a path that we might have never came out of. It might have been a long time. And then to get out and all of a sudden you'd be smacked with this pandemic. Ugh. It would have been rough. I mean, as I sit here and I just think that, you know, we got to be better, man. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, right now I just, 
see Democrats are about to, you know, they're getting their game plan on how they're going to attack the new Supreme Court elect, I don't know what you call it, nominee. And there was some stalk about her kids being from Haiti and people were attacking her on that, which I feel that's out of place. I feel like that's playing dirty, but I also feel like that's the game. That's the world we live in. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. You're about to be nominated for a lifetime appointment to the court, the highest court of the land where you'll make very tough decisions. Where I wouldn't be surprised if something happened to Roberts during Trump's second term, if he happens to win, that Trump wouldn't go turn around and appoint her as chief justice. If he did that, he would prove to his conservative people that he's he is going to change the court truly for a lifetime because I think it's going to put Roberts in a very tight tight spot because I think he will start voting with the left on some issues, voting with the right on issues he definitely agrees with. But I think it's just, you know, he's going to see how the court's going to get politicized and it's going to hurt the credibility of the court. And I feel like if you see these last decisions that Roberts made, he wasn't trying to do that because he knew that if you politicize the court, it only hurts the court. And all their judgments become... You know, people just look at him like, well, I already knew how this way he was going to go. And that's what he doesn't want. And I think at the end of the day, I think nobody should want that. We have to keep politics out of one organization in this country. One. Be it the Supreme Court. You know, the FBI, the CIA. But especially of all, the Supreme Court. People look to the Supreme Court for reasoning. You know, I think if Biden gets elected, I think he gets one Supreme Court nominee. One. I think if it was me running for president, my, my one take would be, you know, when I was interviewing somebody, I'd be like, how do you rule the law? And like, what do you mean? I'd be like, do you believe once a law has been made, and someone challenges it and it comes up to the court, do you feel like you have the right to change that law that's been standing and somebody doesn't like it so they challenge it? Or do you feel like the law should change, stand, but maybe change a few things where you update the law? I think when it comes to Roe, I think that might be an option to do, update the law. I honestly believe that if Roe gets repealed, we're basically sending women back to the dark alleys, the unsanitary places to get a problem taken care of because our religious beliefs tell us it's wrong when people's rights, a choice between a woman and her doctor is private and should be kept that way. Just like your, you know, your vote. That is your right as an American to vote. That is your right as an American, as a woman, to go to your doctor and make a very painful, painful decision on what you're doing.
you know, I had a story in my head and I, and I lost it, but, you know, 200,000 deaths to me should have, you know, if it was me and I was president, the first thing I would have done, Defense Production Act, I would have just railed the bat. Second thing is, I would have pulled, you know, God, I can't get my judge. <laughs> the second thing I would, have, I would have done, okay, I would have, Defense Production Act, I would have ramped up. I would have started saying hospitals. So I would have done this in November. Or now. I would have started, maybe January. I probably would have started saying hospitals, you know, gear they need. I would have said, how many hospitals are in America? Got my answer, and I would have started sending hospitals, you know, gowns, masks, gloves. I would have made a push to do that. Because I feel that just doing that alone would put us in a great space. I would nominate a czar to head up the response, pull Mike Pence away. Because I feel like having Mike Pence being on the board, the coronavirus board, only made things worse. Didn't make it better. It politicized it. Which in turn, Trump got jealous. And we, I mean, so your vice president up you just a little bit and you're mad, you're jealous. Why? Why? But I would nominate Azar. I would keep my hands off it, and all questions would be directed to the Zor. That's clothes and everything. Anything you need. That's what it'd be. Well, we've got 10 minutes left of this great podcast. I think the biggest thing that I want, another subject I want to talk to is the Brianna Taylor case and the no knock warrant. God rest her soul, you know, I'm sure you already know the story. Cops come to, they get some info on a boyfriend that they believe lives there. And they go to the judge, they get a no-knock warrant. You know, so be it, you know, boyfriend's in bed with Miss Taylor and he hears noise and he all of a sudden, you know, thinks that somebody's trying to break in. He fires his gun, they fire theirs, Miss Taylor is hit, she dies. The one thing I saw online that just appalled me, people were trying to say that her current boyfriend was a drug dealer. No, her ex-boyfriend, she allowed to receive packages there. You know, she was probably being friendly, probably broke up on very friendly terms, and so she was being nice. And so the cops went based off phony evidence. They didn't research, they didn't do their homework they just jumped at it and so when you do that you get sloppy work and not to say that what she did was sloppy uh, by all means i think her being a you know an emt tech is very admirable but what she did that the cops did was very sloppy and so when the the lawyer, the AG of Kentucky, came out and said that the cops won't be charged except one for reckless endangerment. You knew what was going to happen. 
you know, it was going to be protest. And now you can see people on the right trying to change the argument because they want to justify what the cops did. They want to justify what the AG did of not bringing charges. You can't justify wrong. You can't. It was wrong. What the police officers did was wrong. They should all be charged. All be charged. They took a life for what? Phony evidence? Phony intel? Boyfriend received the package there? Maybe do some research. Maybe ask around. Has he been there? Does he live there? Who lives at that apartment? Oh, okay. I'm just new to the area. You know. That's all it takes. Just do a little intel. And they didn't. Well, as we get down to the last bit, uh, next podcast, we definitely will be talking about the upcoming debate coming. Um, last little bit I'll talk about here. I feel like this first debate, even though people are casting their ballots now, I believe that this first debate is more important to Joe Biden than any debate he's ever had in his life. I feel like he has to go on this debate and do just enough to squash the haters, the doubters, and show he can go toe-to-toe with Trump. Do I feel like it's important to Trump? I, I don't. I feel like if Biden comes in this debate and he gives a subpar performance, I believe it doesn't really hurt him or hurt, help him or hurt him. But maybe there was some question about his mental capacity. I believe that this debate, if I was advising him, I'd say, Mr. Vice President, this is probably the most important debate of your life. People right now think you have amnesia, dementia, don't know where you're at. And so if you turn in a bad debate performance, you're just going to add fuel to that fire. You know, he he's starting to do some prep Thursday. But I to me, if it was me running, I would have been debate prepping from start to go. Asking myself questions, answering myself those questions. Where when the time came, it just came out naturally. Naturally. So, you know, the next podcast, which is which I will record before the debate, we will talk about it. Chris Wallace, you know. I mean, what do you think? Do you feel like Joe Biden needs to do in this debate, or do you feel like it's already the die's already been cast? I honestly believe that the die's already been cast. I believe no matter what Trump does, no matter what he does, I believe. I I I think people just got in their head who the who he is. I think he's waited too long. I think he never wanted to expand his base. And I think that's going to, at the end of the day, I've gone in my head and I've looked at the last two elections where I said, okay, when did when did Obama win in 08? And I'd say Obama won in 08 in September. That's when he won the race. I would say 12, you could say Sandy. I would say that 47th comment that Mitt Romney made. I think that did more damage than we realized, and I think that's what helped Obama. Plus that horrible bait debate he gave, the first debate debate he gave to Mitt Romney. I believe that 
heard him. But as I like I said, as I go back and I look, you know, some people say Tulsa, Oklahoma. It could be, but I don't think that was a defining moment. It could be. I think the defining moment of this presidency would be his first year. When things he did, he did certain things, and I knew it off the top of my head, but now I can't remember. So that's where winding down. Winding down. I just want to say, guys, I, I hope you found this podcast. You're excited about it like I'm excited about it. I love getting on, spending time talking. I feel like I'm I'm trying to push something that I feel like this country is long overdue. And I hope that if you listen, you feel the same way that I do. How we can make it better, how we can fix certain things, how we can push certain topics. You know, some people say term limits. I'm still, at first I was for term limits. Then someone explained it to me in a way where I'm like, I don't know, term limits is a good thing. I'm just for getting out of money, out of politics. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a change. And I feel that this podcast is a way for me to do that. I feel like it's the start to change things. And that's what I want to do. I want to make things better. I want to make your life better. I want to, hell, I want to make my life better. But we got to start somewhere. Being purple. It's not an idea, it's a movement. My name is Mark Henderson, and I'm here to recruit you. I might be a Democrat, you might be a Republican, but the one thing you've got to ask yourself, what has the party done for me? What has they done for me? Do they speak for me? Or do they speak to their wealthy donors? Those are the questions you have to ask nowadays. We can't make things better if we don't ask those questions. If we don't push that agenda. I want to make things better. I'm tired of living the way I'm living. We have to. We have to. I'm begging you. Oh, man. Coronavirus. Supreme Court. You know, it's it's packed. I mean, I'm starting this podcast at a time where I could almost say, Mark, don't you want Trump to get reelected? I think I think a Biden administration is probably be very boring. You know what? I agree, but I think right now this country is ready for boring. The country is ready for somebody who takes a step back. Because I feel like we took a step forward with Obama. People got scared, wanted to come back for comfort. And now I feel like we we're ready for it. We're ready for that next step, that next chapter. So I hope you're ready to go on that chapter with me. Read that book. Journey on this journey. How can I make things better? Hell, how many, can I make things worse? We can make things better. We just got to do a few things. And you'd be surprised if we did those few things. Few things. The change we would get. The change we would see. How we blow people's minds. But my time is up. It's been a pleasure. I hope you have a good day. See you next week.